You have that's yeah, that's a banger actually. It really is. Okay. Should we both um, smoke? Like- yeah, yeah, yeah. I have my like little naked she's uh so she's like a naked black woman named uh Ursula. Oh you can't really see it because I'm in California and no one but look, you can see her little hole. This is what I smoke out of. I smoke oh my God, out of her vagina? Yeah. Where did you buy this? In Key West, Florida. Shout out to oh, Key wow. West, Florida, the place of drunkenness and uh, cartel drugs, I feel like. Mm-hmm. I feel like all the like white daddies who are like flying keys from Texas to Florida or like whatever, my what is it, Mexico to Florida, they all live in Key West now. They're like, <laughs> let's just retire here. Just in case they have to get away from America, be oh, a diddy yeah. boat. <laughs> I feel like Key West in Florida is is like America adjacent. So is New Orleans. Oh, oh yeah. So do you smoke every morning? Um, not every morning, but often. I feel like- I've been using my bong a lot lately. <laughs> You're giving high school vibes. So here's the scene, y'all. It's like there's packages behind you that look like like keys of cocaine. You have this like orange bong and your like hair is like gorgeously dreaded. You literally look like you're in Jamaica, Rasta and out. <laughs> and the schemes are like red and yellow. Like it's like <laughs> these are my 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 kilos. Yeah. My drug is colorful paper. <laughs> Actually, I have a drug that's not even a drug. It's Capri Suns. That's my drug. Well, drugs aren't drugs. Drugs yeah. can be anything. That's true. We can be addicted to all types of things. I'm just I'm addicted to Capri Suns and love making. Yeah, those are drugs. <laughs> I mean, they now that drugs. we're we're here defining drugs, but I don't want to. I definitely want to say that I don't want to say that drugs are just substances. No, no. I think racism is a drug. Oh, co- totally. Ooh, I think that was really deep. <laughs> yeah, to be addicted to othering another person, that, I mean, people don't want to break up with it. I'm like, oh, you're, that's a drug for you. Yeah, right? Like, you know, those white ladies, they have the view in their mm-hmm. racism, and that's all they have. Let's introduce ourselves. go first you love okay cool hey what's up my name is a million uh better known as um my k name is a millie mill now i am hood marie Kondo on the interwebs i have made a quantum leap into a whole different internet persona um my pronouns are she her they them and my uh drug adjectives today are I guess if, I mean, I'm not on this drug right now, but I, I feel it and I miss it, but I do feel very psilocybin-y, that space of like, kind of like dysphoric relaxation that I think that I get from mushrooms. So mm. yeah, mm. but I'm chilling. I'm chilling. That's my adjective. I'm chilling. <sighs> How are you? <laughs> I love that. Mom justice served. 
And also, I, my K name is Lemon Peppa Steppa, but I want to go by Capri's son. Mm-hmm. Just because I love the costume, and now I'm like, I could probably make this a brand. My pronouns are he and him. And I don't know, I'm with you. I'm feeling very shroomy. It's like 10.30 out here, but it's still gray. And I feel very enlightened already. Like, very, like, the sun's already out to play. So I would be feeling, and I'm normally microdosing on shrooms. So I feel already very shroomy. It's already within me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Our topic today is drugs. What are drugs? I think we kind of talked about it already. I feel like we should put on one of those YouTube videos that go, drugs are, <laughs> and then they're like, it's like some cartoon that's like talking about drugs are very bad for you. They take up and then someone interrupts and goes, no. <laughs> and you just start saying, I love drugs. I love drugs. Oh God. There's so many choices. There's so many drugs. Um, there are. Yeah, how would you define it? I think drugs are something that fill a hole. And I don't think that they have to be substances. I think substance is a type of drug, but I think behaviors, codependency, um, things that other other people um, to help fill in or make somebody else feel wholeness within themselves, whether it's like sexual, whether it's class-based, you know, I think wealth is a drug. I think ego is a drug. So I think, yeah, I think war is a drug too. Yeah. And like violence is a drug. Right. I think you're right on the the vastness on drugs, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, uh, you you can literally list about anything that's tangible. Actually, not tangible, because religion is a drug to people, too. Say it ain't so. I go to church every week, and I know people is addicted to Jesus. <laughs> it ain't a bad thing. But, it, you know, it just what is what it is. It could be, you know. Right. Um, right. Yeah. I, I was just talking to a friend about the children of Jehovah's Witnesses, because I've had friends who are friends with who uh, have parents who are Jehovah's Witnesses and the the violence of that space because you kind of your parent your that family member essentially just becomes somebody completely different and chooses the you know the religion over their family mm. and you, you kind of have a zombie of a parent mm. you know you have like you mm-hmm. have a, you have a body of a parent but you're the parent and the person is vacant I think, and I'm not afraid to admit this, is drugs can do that too. They can take a person. They can, they can do, it's a spectrum, right? It's like, they're drugs that can literally bring you closer into the world and like seeing it very clearly and consciously. And then they're, they're drugs that can take you totally out of the world. Not just like killing you, but like spiritually and physically out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they take you places. Substances specifically as a type of drug, but the overall the drug is, oh, I want to be disassociated or somewhere else or alter my current experience in a way. Like, 
even Starbucks is a drug, you know? Oh God. My mom probably has like, Oh God, I hope she doesn't listen to this. She probably has at least a hundred thousand dollars of Starbucks. Like I, I guarantee you she could have paid like two college tuitions and probably bought a house with Starbucks. My childhood memories are built on the morning Starbucks runs to school. When was the first time you like learned like about drugs? Like what was the first drug you're like, oh, that's, that's a drug. Maybe it was like smelling my, <laughs> smelling my dad smoking weed. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like in bed in my room be like, well, I know what that is. <laughs> How old were you? I was probably like eight or nine. It would always be really late at night while he was cleaning his gun or something. <laughs> Wait, paint us a picture of that. Do dad <laughs> cleaning his gun? My dad will always cleans his guns because it's like safer, but he would do it at night, like like when we were all sleeping. And he'd be up watching TV. And my dad, my dad was always kind of like an insomniac, I feel like when I was young, uh, but he would always be on the couch. Mm. And... It'd be kind of like his own, like he'd have the TV on, he'd be on the couch. I'd wake up and he'd be on the couch. Yeah. Like, you know, but he'd be cleaning his gun. Sometimes he'd sell some of the devil's lettuce. <laughs> so I think with, without anybody telling me it was that, that that was what it was. I knew. <laughs> what about you? Um, I mean, okay. So I have divorced parents. So I had two different drug experiences. My mom loved drugs, like not like obviously drug drugs, but like over the counter. Like when I was sick, she was too quick to be like, Robitussin, it make you feel better. <laughs> Which is like the early kids lean, you know, like she would just be like, Robitussin, take this, take this, take this. So at a very young age, she was like, and then I was like taking it and she was like, take, you need something, you know, and that's what my introduction to drugs was from my mom's side. But then my dad and my mom had like this joint thing where they both tell me a drug horror story, like at a very young age before I understood it, you know, like my dad would be like, so I'm, there's this dude who had a lazy eye and he was sitting in the front of the store and I would always go up there and he'd say, John, 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 John. You know, you want some of my weed? You want to smoke with me? And apparently the dude, like, he, like, tried to smoke with my dad. And my dad was like, no, I don't want any weed. Because the rumor was his eye went lazy from smoking weed. That's what my, exactly. That's not true at all. But that's what my dad told me. And so back then I'd be like, oh, I don't want my lazy eyes to come in. So I can't smoke any weed. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I was young. I was young. And it kept me from drugs for so long, all the horror stories, you know? It, well, so you learned about the over-the-counter from your mom, and then you learned about the street stuff more from your dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, did you ever have, like, a, like folks in your family who are, like, 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 there's always that one person who did a drug, and then suddenly they became, like, the no-no for drugs for your family? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah like everyone has like a cousin or an auntie or like you know i have an uncle who who wrote plays and then one time he had some of the kool-aid which they also define as like acid oh like a psych oh so for real that cool when they were talking about the kool-aid it was acid yeah they're like 
Dang. You know, and your 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 great cousin or uncle, I don't I think he's a cousin, but they're like he he had a sip of that Kool-Aid and he was so talented, but then he lost his talent to the Kool-Aid. Now he's in a home. And I'm like, Kool-Aid. So if I just drink Kool-Aid. <laughs> Why did they just say the name of it? I swear, I swear it's so weird the way that we learn about things through these code words and like not really knowing like what the thing is. Yeah. But it was acid? I mean, I feel like it was acid. What was the crack? Well, my Uncle Tony ended up telling me that he thinks that someone roofied him with something. But it wasn't told like that. It was just told as like this one-sidedness, you know, about drugs. It's like um, when you're a kid, I don't know if you have this, but like the biggest understanding of me and drugs is being called the, the, the drug character. Like, I'll be honest, y'all. I was called a crackhead so many times as a little person. I did not know what a crack or a crack baby and I would be like, I'm not a crack baby. I'm not a crackhead because I was skinny and black. And that really fucked me up. But I didn't know what it meant to be a crack head or baby until I watched the beginning yeah. of Boys in the Hood. <laughs> the irony, though. <laughs> the irony. When I saw the baby, a quote of says, like, that's what a crack baby is. Or, or even if, if you think about it, like the movies about drugs, you know, I can't, I can't remember what that movie is, but it's like Samuel Jackson playing a crackhead. I think it's like yeah. Uh, Beaver, maybe. Uh, look here, babe, bro. Uh, I'm a little light right now. Could you like, let me hold some change? No, no, Gator. No, 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 no. The dancing shit ain't gonna work. I ain't giving you a red cent. What? Come on. You could do me this one solid. What? Would you rather I go out and rob some elderly person? Steal? Either way, I'm gonna get high. But I really hate having to resort to knocking elderly people in the head for their money. But I'll do it. I'll do it. You know I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. You know I'll do it. I like getting high. Uh, I'm a my brother. Yeah. Yo, Bill. We're not doing this anymore. Come on, let's go. Give me over there. That's it, Gator. That's it. I I hate this terminology with crack and people using crackhead crack calling you a crack baby calling you a crackhead that's fucked up and i'm really sorry you went through that thank you that's really fucked up i'm really sorry i'm really sorry you went through that And, and i think a lot about how a lot of people use that terminology i think crackhead and ghetto are being used in a way that is like not cool but i just think we should stop using that term like, I feel like I feel like along with like the F word and other words like crackhead, calling people crackhead, crack baby, cracks, using crack in that way is like I think we should stop that. Well, also, if you think about like if you think about drugs, the only fucking term with the exception of like pothead that feels like more of something that was created by white people, I think 
is crackhead like crackhead crack baby were like the terms that reagan were like so we're looking for a crackhead um <laughs> when we're thinking about the war on drugs we're looking for crackheads we're looking for black people we're looking for black children like i feel like it was synonymous with like like a whole entire race it wasn't even about the drug use you know that feels very like attacking and then black people were like oh let's make fun of it kind of like when we hear nigga they're like well, instead of making like nigga or nigger a bad way, we're just gonna make it like a joke and a pun. Right. Which is I kind of am tired of that comedy, that like trauma comedy. It's yeah. annoying, you know? Yeah, I'm sick of that trauma comedy too. I mean, you brought up that point in the last podcast about how using grief was is used as a as a space in comedy. The way we talk to each other and about each other and at each other and it's almost like a drug in itself. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, the way that we're moving towards, if you think about all the efforts that were put into like disparaging and making people feel bad about drugs and then society going against drugs, we literally have a whole economy that's based off of like the drug industry. And it's not like, it's like kind of like a preference to it. It's like we could have made a shit ton of money from like marijuana as like a whole entire nation and then been like, all right, great. We're going to have healthcare. Like here's what we're going to do with that. Or like whatever the drug was, but now there's this whole industry and that's been around, you know, I guess I would say for all the while, but I'm just now hearing like when we talk about drugs that are psychologically being used, there is, there's like a vast amount of things you could just take, you know, but I feel like it doesn't make sense for it's like they wanted us to go in such an unnatural way where they're like, yeah, you need this, this and that when there's already all this other shit that's like from Earth, you know, white folks, they're like, we don't want to play with what grows in dirt. We want to make our own shit. Anyways, I feel like those type of things just show that we have all been swayed into this storyline and this like experience of drugs that has been manufactured and it's not real. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they were brought here to manipulate us and disarm us and to, to destroy us. I think there's a difference between drugs and medicine. And I think yeah. that a lot of what we're at, like what we're experiencing within the drug space, as far as what we are exposed to, or even allowed to have access to legally, because that's a whole other space of contention right there. It's, alcohol is one of the, the worst substances, I think, in the world, to be honest. And I think that because it is so legal, it's so okay for, it's so approved by the white man because that is, the, that is their elixir. It's on every corner. You can buy it anywhere. You can buy it in the grocery store. And it's one of the, one of the most inebriating substances to a certain degree like you could dui you can kill somebody like i was actually just spiraling on mel brooks or mel gibson i'm sorry mel gibson's hey don't throw mel, mel brooks under the bus i corrected myself <laughs> but i was just looking at his dui arrest and i did a tiktok video he was he had a whole bottle of Cazadores and he was taken to the head like he was drinking straight tequila on the PCH 
wild. That's a movie. <laughs> you I know mean, what they say he's got the passion of the Christ. He does. I mean, he's a whole he's a demon actually, but that's a whole different podcast. Yeah, alcohol is crazy, and it's only and we can access it because because the white man said so, and they can collect tax on it. Yeah, my big issue right now, like my hugest issue for anybody listening out there, it is not fucking cool. It is not sexy to drink and drive. It is just not. I don't know what uh-uh. it, it's. It's all. It might be the only thing that Oprah and all those white people who say it's not cool are saying right because it is just not. Like I've been in the car in the last four three months with some people I thought were fucking so dope and so cool. And then they were drinking an excess amount, not even the amount that you would even consider like, like I, I would consider these amounts tipsy, not drunk, but their personality when they were driving was just like, would I die for you? You know what I mean? Like, like their personality mm-hmm. is very much like, oh yeah, we're going to do whatever speed we want because we are riding and dying together. And I'm like, hold up now, like slow down. Like your live fast, die young personality doesn't even work for me. And I have suicidal thoughts <laughs> and I don't get it. And people who are like, oh, well, I'm not drunk. Like show me the receipts. When you say I'm not drunk, show me the receipts. Because that's like the one thing a drunk person says. That's when you say you're not addicted to drugs, but you're like, only someone who didn't even accuse you of being addicted to drugs, you just saying it. Oh, I'm not addicted to drugs. Ain't nobody asked you. We can tell. You know, like, not to say like there's anything wrong with whatever you're addicted to in certain aspects, but I'm saying like, just it, just don't, don't lie. Like, just be, you know what I mean? Like, just say, hey, I'm a little drunk. Great. Let me take my ass home in an Uber. Anyways, I had to just go on that tangent. Yeah, that, that was, I remember that story. That seemed like really horrifying. Yeah, it's and scary. It's so scary. I mean, think about all the scary stuff that we've experienced with somebody who was had too much alcohol, which you could buy at the grocery store, which you could buy anywhere, which... Like how many times has anyone feared for their life involving alcohol yet it's legal. And then I can't get my damn psilocybin without it being a federal crime. Listen now, if I could trade a beer for ADHD medication or antidepressants for the rest of my life, I would do it in a hot second. Yeah. I'll trade, I'll trade out alcohol for a whole bunch of other stuff. Yeah. For real. Yeah. No, I feel you. If, if I had to make a, if I, if something really had to go, like it, it would be alcohol. I don't know if I'm like being historically correct, but like, isn't it kind of true that like Native Americans were like at first making, uh, they're first making like elixirs that would, I guess you could say, get you uh, tipsy or make you like have hallucinations. But then I feel like there is a point in time because History is like telling us like, oh, Native Americans are drunks when like their alcohol was changed by early white Americans. And it literally like had sort of uh, intellectually, I don't want to even say intellectually, but it had destroyed that community. You know, that was like the first, I think there was a first big thing on how alcohol destroys the community. You know what I'm talking about? 
Well, yeah, yeah the, the alcohol was introduced as into the um, indigenous communities yeah. to disarm, like to disarm them and destroy them. And I mean, it's still a space of like heavy retribution in this current time in Alaska and the villages, they're all dry. It's illegal to have alcohol up there. So people are still like 2022 bootlegging because it's totally illegal because of how, how, um, how deep that, you know, relationship is, is like so hard space. So it's just still such a space of harm in the community yeah. to this day. So, yeah, I mean, when I was growing up, um, people were drinking mouthwash, like uh, people who are displaced or indigenous people who are out in the street. That's also another thing that people do up, up in Northern Alaska. From what I've heard, I've heard people, Drinking whatever type of alcohol thing that you can get. I've seen some, and look, Alaska's alcohol central. I don't want to call people alcoholics and define them by what they are. This one time, I'll tell you this one story. So when I was, and mind you, I'm not even just putting this on indigenous people. I'm putting this on like the culture up there, Ooh, especially yeah. white folks. Sex, sex. So, but, but you see there's these restrictions that are put on indigenous people, but not on white folks. Mind you, I'm working, I'm in, I'm just out of college. I was working for a tourism company that um, would take people on these cruises. I would work in the part where they would come off the airplane and help them find their luggage and get them on the bus. That was my summer job. And I worked with this one white girl and the way that she drank, it was so crazy. I had never seen anybody drink like this in my whole life. And she would show up so drunk at the airport um, and still have her job and still do her thing. But she would talk about how she just like killed a whole bottle of like Stoli Shania, stuff like that. But there, this was when bird flu was around. So this is really where oh, she, Lord. so this pand pandemic reminds me of that time because I remember that there was this period. This is when I, I think this was like 2000, I, I started going to college I started college 2003. So this was like the summer of 2003. I think it was like bird flu. And we had hand sanitizer everywhere. And because of the bird flu or something, you know? And I swear to God, she came to work and she was like hungover. And she was like, can I drink that? That's alcohol in it, right? And proceeds to start to put her head underneath the hand sanitizer station to drink it. And I was like, girl, no. <laughs> wow. I, like, I don't remember. What's her name? Haley? I don't remember. <laughs> Haley's. Yo, we need to say a prayer for that, Haley. And who knows what happened during COVID? Oh, God. I had never seen anything at that level I before. wish you could find her on Facebook. Oh, no. She's blocked. Yeah, but then you could, we could see, like, a really bad photo of Haley. You know what's crazy? White people in their drunkenness are like, I think it's their blackness. Okay, hear me out. Hear me out. You know, like how we're real people, like constantly. Black people are real people, constant. White people have like this inner, I want to be free with my whiteness energy that only comes out when they're drunk. And like yes. it's their version of what their idea of their own blackness is, their own beauty, and their own like, like on beat rhythm. 
like I've never seen a more passionate person than a white man or a white woman when they are fucked up. Oh, <laughs> passions of the Christ. For real. No, for real. I'm like, oh, some little, like, you're loose now. Like, you're loose. And, like, we see in it. I'm like, I'm hearing way too much. And it's messy. Like, I'm talking about m- messy. It's messy. Like, it's, messy. It's, it's kind of like, I think, though, with blackness, like, we can be that for the most part. Like, we kind of, like, have this thing where you kind of yeah. like, eh. Without, but, without alcohol, without drugs. You know? Yeah, without it. But I agree because, man, white wine. <laughs> box wine. Box. Hey, box but I'm not dissing. I'm, I'm not, not mad at box wine. wine. No, I'm not mad at no, no, You know no, what no, I'm I, mad at? Hmm. I know what I'm mad at. I got it right now. Listen. Listen. If we think about beer, okay? These fucking commercials, these Budweiser's. Shout out to Budweiser. What the Don't fuck? Don't shout out Budweiser. Don't shout I'm, out. No, I'm shouting out Budweiser because I want them to listen. Ain't nobody care about your commercials and your horse and about being a part of America's by drinking your brown ass piss liquor. I used to work for them. Oh, God. Guess who else I used to work for? Who? Marlboro. Oh, Lord. Of course you did, Marlboro Man. Oh, I have deep regret about it. Like, I, I have wow. like, a lot of about it. I was doing it in college. And they were recruiting brown kids, brown young people for these marketing, these these marketing <gasps> schemes. Oh, I, my I'd God. Say I was one of them. I mean, I think I was making at least, like, 15 or $20 an hour, maybe more than $20 an hour. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, wow, I could work, like, I could work 15 hours and I'm cool. I could pay my rent, you know, because back then rent in Vegas was like $600 or some, something, you know? Yeah. Like for a two bedroom apartment or something ridiculous, like in yeah. that time. Oh my God. It was crazy. So I, I, I didn't even mean to work for Budweiser. I, every city has a distributor, right? So my friend was working at doing the advertising and he was like, Hey, we have some openings, uh, send your, uh, resume because like, you know, maybe you can get a job here. And he was a brother too. So I was like, all right, cool. And send my resume in. Then they asked me for a photograph and I'm like, you know, I'm like, why would you need my picture? I've never ever, this was, you know, I've never got asked to send my picture for a job, get a job. Anyways, they, okay. I, I get called for an interview. I kid you not. I, this place does not open anymore, but it was at this bar that used to be across the convention center where their thing every hour was to throw toilet paper in the air. So you. <laughs> I wow. this stuff up. So you're in the bar and it's kind of given tiki inside. Like there's even like some like tiki roofy things inside and I'm meeting this woman. Her name is, I'm not going to say her name, but she was kind of a devil. She was Korean, but she was adopted. She was from Wisconsin. So she was like Korean and she was like, talk like she was from Wisconsin. It was kind of trippy. Pretty much. I was like, I'm in the bar. There's all this toilet paper flying all over the place. I was like, okay. So we were supposed to just go around plain clothes and talk to people and get them to drink more Budweiser. And we were supposed to just look like naturally that is what we, what we drank so everybody was like had a personality like there's a comedian there's an actor there's like a and we were just going through all these bars and just 
straight up making people, especially like white folks were like, <laughs> I'm like, Oh, do you want another one? And we'd have an open bar tab and it was through us M and P, which they're a bunch of doubles too. So we'd have an open tab and we'd be like, those people uh, like turn it, like turn the place into coyote ugly and leave, you know, all over town <laughs> <laughs> on top of the bar, on top of the bar. And then they started, they had another product called Jekyll and Hyde. So we were testing out their new products on people. So we're pretty much like getting people to try stuff, getting people to drink stuff and then getting humans to be guinea pigs for like free alcohol and stuff like that. You're but like we were a real life influencer in the worst way i have a lot of guilt about it and we were allowed we were allowed to expense out our tab rights if we were too drunk we would go to trainings um in st louis like i went to the budweiser like i went to the budweiser plant when's the book coming out (laughs) it's so scary like the energy they have a clydesdale that they i feel bad for the clydesdale they have a horse that they have they put the horse it's like in a cage and people like look at it yeah it's fucked up it's fucked up it's it's weird energy oh no and then you can't not drink anything outside of budweiser it's like a fucking cult like the whole city it's like weird it was like so weird i got i got caught not drinking budweiser and my boss called me from vegas it was like i swear to god she was like she was like what are you what are you doing what are you doing Put it down. My Blackberry. She was like, my Blackberry is ringing off the hook right now because you're not drinking Budweiser. You're like, uh, I'm drinking Corona? A vodka something. Oh, yeah, no, that's a no-no. You're over there for Budweiser. It's funny how, like, beer is, like, innocent, but, like, I think beer is really, really bad. And I think the only thing that I would define as like worse than beer to me, and I say this in my personal life, is like the tequilas, but like the bad tequilas, not like the not like the good tequilas. You know what I'm talking about? Like the Jose Cuevo. A tequila makes me want to like just right now I can feel my body changing. But do you know what I mean? Like people are like, beer's innocent, you know, unless and that there's this whole other side where everything else is terrible, worse, worse than beer. You know, I want I want a well, whole book. Well, it's yeah, I'm working on the book, but I think actually compared to, to, to like beer or to the al- alcohol is like this whole tobacco cigarette thing. Um, because they're both just, you know, you could get them at the gas station. You can do this and that you can. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as kids, you learn, like you learn about, the acceptance of that space because mom and dad can get that and not be judged and then also with cigarettes too but remember candy cigarettes oh yeah no. oh yeah they were giving out candy drugs you yeah. know to teach us Wait, i was smoking candy cigarettes and it made me want to smoke that's, cigarettes that's your generation my mama wouldn't let me play with like that my my mama and my daddy it's just like they'd be like you I was like, you want to smoke cigarettes and you want to die. Like everything was just like death, you know, I smoked the first time I smoked a cigarette, actually the first, the first drug, I guess I technically did was smoking a cigarette. And I went to my mom's backyard and I like lit the cigarette. It was so bad. And I dropped it on like, I remember I dropped it on the pavement 
And when I went to go pick it up again, I like burned my hands and I like, I had like no way of smoke. I did not know how to smoke a cigarette. And then like years later, I'd be like smoking cigars, which I, I, I know cigars are terrible, but fuck, I love a damn good cigar. I feel like that's like the sexy do it once a year type of thing. But yeah, what the fuck do people go like, remember when they're just like, <laughs> it's like when you're a kid or like when you're a teenager, like everyone's smoking like the, that one teen cigarette. It was like crushed camels. That was the thing they used to do in high school, crushed camels or American spirits. And they're like skewed to like the hipster or the teen, you know? I don't know. No, I don't think we had the crushes when I back in when I was in high school, but people were straight up drinking or smoking Marlboro Reds. I remember seeing when people that were smoking Marlboro Reds, so they called them cowboy killers. I'd be like, you got a poor chewing tobacco. That was really popular when I was in high school. I mean, I didn't do it, but did they do that in your high school? Chewing tobacco? I feel like I don't, I mean, I grew, so my high school was filled with, like, rich kids who, like, could afford, like, to just buy a bunch of liquor and have their parents drop it off at their house, or, like, like, it's Hollywood, you know, like, they didn't need the chewing tobacco because they had their, like, bougie cigarettes, and, like, they had everything, like, the first time I remember going to a rich person's house in high school, I remember seeing, like, you know, like the, just the booze all over the table and then thinking like, Oh, I could have, I could have any drink I wanted, but me being the fucking really sweet kid was like, you got any juice? And they're like, no, (laughs) they never had any, any real chasers. It was always just like all the alcohol you could drink. It was Mm. terrible. And, and, you know, they, and and even back then it's like, you're so stupid. You don't realize you can like make a really cute drink and then like, with juice and like keep drinking they would just go hard and be like so this is white this is white this is white let's just put them all together you know oh my god yeah yeah that's hardcore yeah well well, what was your first drug experience you know i grew up in california where weed was like obviously a i think california set off like has made weed culture i think they they created it am i right about that would you say that California created weed culture? Yeah. Like the way it is now. Yeah. Think about it. Like all West Coast, even hip hop, it's hip hop music. It's the Venice beach lifestyle. Like the idea mm. of like cool weed culture, I think is a very California thing. Mm. Like if I don't think of another place that's more associated with like the chronic. Yeah. You, you I know what I mean? That. Yeah. Yeah. The chronic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah that's so true. Uh, so anyways, I say that because like, you know, I grew up with the the Snoop Dogs and the Dr. Dre. So I was apparently listening to Chronic right out the womb. Shout out to my mama. <laughs> um and I was da, like da, 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 da. Yeah, and I was like, ooh, <laughs> you know. And so I was always curious, like, what what is the green leaf that I always see as a kid, you know? And as even as time got gone by, like I never saw anyone smoke any weed. It's crazy. Like my, I don't know if it was my parents or none of them. They never brought any of that stuff around me. So how you can remember your dad smoking weed? I can't. I don't have a. I don't have any childish, you know what I mean, memory of it. It was just never brought around. You know, in high school, the 
first sign I realized that uh, weed was around was during lunchtime when people would go off campus. And they're like, oh, we're going to go off campus. And I was like, okay. And they're like, you want to come with us? And I was like, maybe like 14 or 15 or like maybe a little, maybe like 15 or 16. But the point is, is like, I was like, ooh, okay. And it was the first time I realized like, oh, this is what we do off campus. Like you go off and you smoke weed. But it took me so long to observe it that when I finally decided to, I like planned it. I was like, okay, I'm going to go off campus and I'm going to smoke weed with the cool kids. And it was basically like all the, it was like basketball players, all the cool black kids, and just like all the rich kids in this big circle in a parking lot. It might've been like 14, 15 people. Anyways, we're smoking in this parking lot and I take maybe the tiniest hit in the world. I don't even know if it was a full hit because they had to teach me how to inhale it. And then we saw this like Jewish coach. I'm not going to say who it is in case he listens, but uh, he worked at the school and he was walking up the stairs and I saw him and I immediately, when I tell you, nigga, I ran so fast. There was probably a cloud of smoke behind me because I was like, I'm going to get in trouble. And I was high. So I was like walking. I ran onto Sunset Boulevard from school, high as fuck, towards the Tower Records coffee bean area. Shout out. And I was like freaking out. I was like, oh my God, school's going to find out. My mom's going to kill me. Nothing. You know, it's not like the school. If I was never afraid of being suspended, y'all. I'm still afraid my mom's going to kill me. <laughs> like, anyways i'm fucking freaking out you know i'm like i didn't realize what the munchie thing was so i'm in the starbucks with my like two dollars hoping that they'll sell me a rice crispy and when i don't have enough money i just take these little sticks of honey and i just start throwing them down my throat anyways i i went back to school and it turns out the coach smokes weeds with smokes weed with them so there goes all my tripping for no reason but I'm still emotionally really high. And it was my first time. So my mom, my mom is, my mom was really hot. Yeah. My mom parked the car, got out. I was like, well, get back in the car. They're like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'm like, somehow we're just driving. And in the middle of the drive, I'm like, I'm going to keep it cool. I'm not going to say anything. I just bust out crying. I'm so high. <laughs> I like fully broke down. I was like, I smoked weed and I'm so, so sorry. My mom is like, this dumbass kid. Like this kid can't even hide, hide it. You know, like most teens do. I could never hide it. Anyways, we went back home. And uh, the reason why I think this part is funny is like, I had so many I had a whole, I had a real freak out. I thought a rat was crawling on me in my sleep. And like, and like, as I like was passing out from my like high nap, I like looked under the bed and couldn't see anything. And I swear to God, y'all, I had been imagining there was a rat because we, we like had, had issues in the house, but my mom was like, you're just out of your mind. You're just high. You're high. I know the fact that that's when the rap problems actually started because why would I be imagining that shit? You know, mm. anyways, my mom made me feel bad. and was like, 
you're a dumbass. <laughs> now you have to sit here and watch Gone with the Wind or some fucking old ass movie. Um, but I wasn't punished. I wasn't punished the way I thought I was supposed to be, you know? Because I think my mom okay. saw me breaking down and was like, you know it's bad. <laughs> yeah. 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 I didn't smoke till college from that, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow, you were, after that experience, you were like, I'm going to chill. Yeah, I think I waited, maybe, maybe, no, maybe realistically until like right, like 12th, 12th grade or mm-hmm. summer 12th grade. But no, I, you know, think about drugs for, for I think me is like, I'm now, I love drugs because I realize not just the weed, but really it's just like, there are all these natural things that can help you understand your emotion, your emotions and your feelings. There's a way to use drugs to do mental and psychological check-ins with yourself. that are super yeah. healing, you know, but back yeah. then it was just, let's do it because let's just get high. You know, now I'm like, I, I take shrooms on Sundays because I'm like, let's just check in with God and the God in you. Right. You know what I mean? Right. I think that drugs are so important for us to help us shape our perspective and do a lot of that work inside. Even having a bad trip is something that can help change the trajectory of like your life, you know, having a good Mm. trip, like certain drugs and, and other activities like dancing and music and, and the arts and how integrative those experiences are when you're able to do medicine or drugs or whatever you call it, um, certain substances that take you to a space of euphoria, mm. you know, um, especially if you have an understanding of like what your body can do and like how to do the thing and what, what you're doing and if you're safe doing it with the right people. I found um, your tweet or at least one of them that I really loved. If you're okay with did you find yeah. it? Yeah, which one? Should I read it? It's from uh, September 7th, 2000. Yeah, that's the ones. Listen, yeah. y'all, let me just put it out there. For any uh, elderly, older folks, nothing is wrong with drugs. And you have children who need to hear that because mm-hmm. when whether or not you want to hear it or not, they're going to be taking drugs, some sort of drugs within their future. Yeah, And you want to just say nothing is wrong with drugs, but certain drugs I I don't feel should be taken. And you say it like personally, I don't feel should be taken. If my if anyone would have just said it like that, there's so many people who would go without issues. But because there was such a like it's wrong and all of them are bad. We have so we have even worse issues with drugs because we can't recognize um, that people who take drugs and this is for all people i think we're all learning how to we're all hurt people learning how to heal so we need some type of drug anyways you're you're totally right that's why we even have well that's why people have medicine and drugs because we're coping and it's like and and everyone has a judgment towards how others cope we've been fed poison we've been fed all types of crazy shit and people are kind of just grasping at what they can do shout out to who reverse because who really put me in my place about that word addiction or addict, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's really when I was in a space of mourning and he, I had such a beautiful talk with him um, just about death and some of the losses that were occurring in my life because of 
um, because of fentanyl, you know, and other, and drugs, you know, um, and losing people who are grieving. And, you know, he was like, what, you know, sugar's a drug. We don't judge drugs. people who drink, who drink nothing but soda pop. But then people have something <laughs> to say about people who do, you know, cocaine and do other things. And that, that even that word addiction, like we shouldn't be calling people that. And like people are quick to not judge the ways that others bungee jump, you know? Mm. And I yeah. really, yeah, I really appreciate Uhuru for that. And also, by the way, Fupu is fundraising for their new album. Um, so if anybody can't support, I'll put the link in our um digest but and that and fupu stands for fuck you pay us right yeah fuck you pay us which uh, uhuru of uh one of the founders of fuck you pay us really appreciated that i don't i was trying to throw in what you wrote in this chat but oh, i found it yeah should i read okay good yeah please do read it okay so i wrote i do drugs all human beings deserve to do drugs safely Drugs helped shape my perspective, helped me get through hard shit when I needed care and couldn't get it. I got out alive, and I believe you all deserve such too. We all do drugs. And remember, all drugs ain't powders and pills. Labeling fentanyl mass murder victims as overdoses and addicts admonishes, shames, and perpetuates judgment against users who got sabotaged product. Send all that smoke, energy, and accountability to the serial killer psychopaths willfully distributing tainted poison venom. Hold people in your circle accountable who label and center users as addicts, crackheads, junkies, tweakers. Divorce that judgmental rhetoric that reduces these victims. When most of them are angels that need care, support, purpose, justice, and shelter, emotional and physical. Remember, we have the right to do drugs. We deserve the right to put whatever we want in our bodies without risk of being poisoned. You have the right to safe shit that is clean. Stop discarding people's legacies by blanketing them as fucking addicts. It only takes one bad batch. Um, and Big Pharma is the biggest drug kingpin in the world. Companies that, manu Thank you. Companies that manufacture fentanyl and op opioids, hashtag Johnson & Johnson, are the biggest and need to burn. Boycott Johnson & Johnson products. They have been unrestrained for far too long and dismantled the Drug Enforcement Administration. They ain't doing shit. Wait, can I say the next one about the cartel? Oh, yeah. All right. And by the way, um, I'm going to take on a voice in this because I think these, these next two are like, like my favorite ones. <laughs> the United States government drug cartel says some drugs are good, but others bad. Drugs are drugs. None are more better than others. Until all drugs are legal, our bodies, minds, and friends will continue to die and be enslaved. The epidemic isn't drugs. It's pain and suffering. The epidemic is lack in a world that, pr that proves there is no need for such. The epidemic is antiquated colonial language and use of such that must that must be eradicated and divorced from our psyches for it is the perpetuation of harm. I just want to snap. We need to put like some snap interludes for all this. Yet, this is what you know a million. More. I'm sorry. This is what you know a million. <laughs> I was going million off. Million. I was going it off. Spiraled. Spiraled. Yet, y'all looking down on people who are actually free radicals 
shame for using outside of societal bounds. And if you were drinking alcohol, judging people who use drugs, you ain't about shit. You high on the white man's drug of choice and think and think because it's legal, you better. LOL. <laughs> I think that's all of them. <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Dude, this whole entire thing needs to be like, we need to upload this. Well, first of all, can I can I ask? So tell me about. I mean, this was the summer of a lot of things going on, uh, or at least the end of the summer. But, you know, you obviously been building on these words. So tell me about, you know, wh- where they inherently felt you they came from or how yeah. you began to spiral. I, I spiraled. It really happened with um, Michael K. What is it? Michael K. Williams, talented mm-hmm. brother who passed away. Mm-hmm. And I saw that it was for fentanyl and I didn't like the way that the, that the, the media was wording multiple fentanyl related deaths. I have loved ones who've, who've died from that. I've had to check my own self about that language that I was even using. I, I mean, I keep, I keep seeing this, like I keep seeing the way that I feel like it's gaslighting the user as, oh, it's the drug user. Like you shouldn't have been using drugs, but I'm like, that thing shouldn't have been in the drugs. It's not about the drug. It is about the fact that we have a drug enforcement administration. We have a government whose job it is to keep us safe and to keep the shit clean. But not only do we have a drug enforcement administration that distributes drugs, the biggest pimp slave cartel in the world, United States government out here, allowing allowing a company like Johnson and Johnson to legally produce this thing, which I understand that people use fentanyl. I guess fentanyl has a, a use that's for pain, right? Like mm. uh, people who are in extreme pain, like there's fentanyl patches. There's like the space of fentanyl use that is, I guess there's a purpose, but I think that it's clear at this point that this thing needs to just be eradicated. Like how many drugs are have we seen and just disappear? that have just disappeared because they quickly caught themselves and found out that this thing is not the thing, but yet people who get this in their, in their stuff, they're, they're demonized. Like it's crazy to me. I'm like, this person was a victim of a system. These people are victims of a system. Everybody who's even on fucking drugs or is using drugs instead of actually receiving care is a victim of the system facts facts i also want to say on that point like you know they're not here to defend themselves they are victims but to to write their narrative as they couldn't win their battle with drugs when something killed them you know, like that feels really, really, I mean, talk about a world that's got you fucked up. Can you imagine? This is what I think about constantly when I think about um, people who, who live a life being called an addict is, you know, we talk about imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Drugs are, are really this this route of saying, I just want to feel loved by the world and fulfilled and understood, you know? And I think, and because they don't feel like they're good enough. And then you, you, you do drugs for a sense of finding healing and purpose 
And sometimes, and I'll be honest, like, it doesn't matter what your route is. If you hit rock bottom and you made it out, maybe that was the purpose of doing those drugs. I'm going to, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. What hurts is like when you lose your battle or whatever they're calling it with, with that said drug. And then they're like, oh, well, they just couldn't, they couldn't just, they weren't strong enough or like, da, 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 da. like they're an addict. They're just an addict. And then they're like, there's nothing about them. Right. It's just, unless you're, of course, unless you're of some sort of fame, but like, you know, that's still not okay either though. That's fucked up. But yeah, but I'm saying that's fucked up because like, excuse my language, (laughs) but also no, I think like these people who are capitalizing off of drugs and then you have obviously this new system of the narrative that like drugs are more about the people than it is about the society that's or like that's responsible you know it's just like it's murder like just murder. it's murder it's murder yeah you murder yeah. um i know it's like to all people are listening like ah, i don't know but like if you think about it like it's a, just a different version of stabbing or shooting someone you know it's like putting someone down constantly to the point where you actually put the needle in their hand or whatever it is in their hand to kill them. And, and the thing is, is like, they weren't even trying to kill themselves. People who take drugs are just trying to find healing, find themselves. They're trying to get dig deeper. Right. You know, um, do you ever read like, a? have you ever read like the book of like rock stars mm-hmm. or, uh, okay. So I, I read, a um, what is it called? I'm going to get his name wrong, but basically he's a guy who's the lead singer of the hot the red hot chili peppers i'll google that as i'm saying it but um he did like every when i say he did every drug like there is like a point in where he was sniffing like cocaine and ants um it was like it was a lot (laughs) um but in this in in the in his book what's his name uh flea Okay. The other one who wrote it, the other one who has a book is, uh, his name is Anthony Cletus. So actually I'm talking about Anthony. So anyways, he took, he, he did so many drugs and all of his ways of drugs had, had to do with, you know, some were first childhood, some were for dealing with the music industry, some were because he, you know, like it, it, drugs can pull you apart and put you back together. And it's interesting because at the end of the book, he's like, wouldn't change anything. This is not a book. This is not a book to tell you don't do drugs. You know, I, don't, I, I think everybody needs to do some drugs. I think some people need to do more drugs. I think yeah. some people need to do less drugs. I think some people are doing the wrong drugs. I think because of, I don't think people have actually met their drug, which I'd actually like to say, like, maybe that's, you know, like meeting your soulmate. You ain't met your drug yet, honey. Mm. You, ain't met, you ain't met it yet because you scared or because you stigmatized or you're distanced or you, you know, societally think all A, B, C, and D, you know, people yeah. haven't, like, I would have been a different person had I known that psilocybin was accessible and it was probably better for me as a teenager or any type of like psychedelic, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. um, I think I would have been more geared toward that, but instead it was just, you know, alcohol weed ecstasy but i never even really did ecstasy it just wasn't 
my yeah. boyfriend at the time was the ecstasy dealer. So the idea of that was like, it was too much because I was just seeing him being messy about it and doing too much ecstasy. And I was not into it, yeah. you know? So I never got into the pill stuff. I also wanted to make sure that I didn't get pregnant and I could get the fuck out of Alaska. So I had to set some boundaries for myself because <laughs> I was like, nope, I'm getting out of here. I can't wait to read your book. <laughs> I, think it, I think your book cover should be like oh my god you're gonna write a book and then you're gonna do an interview with Whoopi about your book I just saw it we're gonna do it it's gonna happen you're gonna just do it you're enjoy it. um like one of the things I want to say about drugs which is really I think important is know your body know your body I think those that and setting Wait, say it again. Dose, set, and setting. Dose, set, and setting? Yeah, I, I've been reading about those spaces in the drug world. So you got to understand how to dose yourself and what your body is actually capable of. Facts. Like, right. So some people have a bad trip on weed or have a bad trip on mushrooms because they like did too much or they like exactly. did what somebody else did. And people mm -hmm. tend to run before they walk, you know? And What's then. That? That is, um, well, let me see. Setting is the environment. I'll say that. Um, Which is everything. I mean, y'all, look, look, I'm all about setting when it comes to any drug. But let me just tell y'all something. Some of y'all is taking these drugs around people. You ain't supposed to take drugs around. Ooh. And I'm going to just tell you. I'm going to just tell you, listen, ain't nothing wrong with the drugs. Something's wrong with the people. You heard it here first. Look, <laughs> you ain't lying. Look, look, look. Sometimes you be like, I really want to enjoy this drug, but you can't enjoy the person sober. So uh -huh. how are you going to enjoy them when you're on drugs? You know, like that's something that I, I truly feel like is, is something I, I'm, I, I already knew it just kind of growing up. My dad was like, don't take any drugs around these folks because if you get arrested, the, you know, they ain't going to have your back, you know? Yeah. Um, but then, side so note, like, you also think about where we're at here and, like, you know, we have such a, there's the party. I mean, I'm in New Orleans. Like, it's a party community and drugs are at the party. But there's also something really beautiful about taking drugs with people who, who are, who are just as intentional as you and who you're comfortable with versus like just the party scene. I don't know why drugs are just about the party scene when mm -hmm. drugs I think are so much more beautiful and activating and in healing when you're not around it, you know? Yeah. It's the, it's it, yeah, no, that's facts. That's the perversion of it. I think it kind of goes into that alcohol thing, you know? Yes where people are pulling things into that space that probably that are not really meant for that space, like doing mushrooms alone versus doing mushrooms in like a f gigantic crowd of drunk people. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, so set and setting is when referring to a psychedelic drug experience means one mindset, which is shortened to set and the physical and social environment, which is the setting, which is pretty much kind of what you were just talking about. Mm -hmm. It's like, like, where's your mind at when you, like, mm. you're going to do this thing? And then where are you at? Yeah. And then how much are you, you taking? Yeah. Mm. So dose, set, which is mindset, yes. and setting. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. 
beautiful. Anyone who's listening to that, when you see your little white friends and they're doing their little drugs and you're doing your little drugs, you just have to think about it. And you can ask them, what dosage is this? Be please but, ask the dose. Please find and, out. Oh my God. It's so important. Am I in the right mindset? You know, I didn't have the answer. My friend wanted to take some shrooms with me. I didn't have the answer of the dosage. So what I said was, and this is like the best and the most honest answer is like, this is what I'm, I know my body needs. And I, and I told them my weight, this is how much I'm taking right now. I don't know how much your body weighs, but this, like, you can have a discussion about it because nobody's the same, you know, but if you can't, I, I, I have this whole thing about like understanding drugs as like, it's a communication with, with, with yourself but who you're doing it it's a real conversation with the person you're doing it you know you mm -hmm. kind of have to you have to really say like well this is what i'm planning on feeling when i take this you know or this is what i would make me feel safe would would this make you feel safe you know like talk about it just talk you know so, yeah. yeah, I also think people should communicate or don't show off if you don't know. Don't just trust somebody when they just give you something and don't tell you what's in it or how much is in it. Um, I think that there's a lot of this conversation or space that I hear of people who are getting in situations with people who are trying to set them up um, in a way yeah. that's not cool. There's a big responsibility in offering somebody drugs. There's yeah. a really big responsibility in offering anybody any substance. And um, also there's yeah. a responsibility in knowing who you're taking the substance from and who did that person get the substance from? Because mm. I think people who are maybe more experienced drug users have certain relationships with their dealers. Go really, I haven't, I don't feel like I've, I'm like looking back to think if I had to really track anything down, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I haven't had that relationship like specifically to cocaine or anything like that. Like I've been able to like get it for people and shit, but um, I'm not, I've never was like, I need this every weekend and I need to find, I have like, I have my person and all that, that some yeah. people do have, but really find out what you're taking and how much it is and just realize there's not, it's not a race. It's not a competition just always, I think, with the drug space, go at a pace that works for you. And it's always better to do less than, it's always better to go small, to do less. <laughs> Unless you're just trying to quantum leap, then that's on you. Yeah. I've been calling everything a quantum leap lately because my dad was watching that show. And I was, <laughs> when I was visiting Vegas, so I was like, dang, I forgot. Hmm, this white man is jumping through all types of spaces in time. Oof. Yo, I've been thinking about that in terms of like, I want to learn how to spiritually leap out of my body once in a while. And I think drugs, especially when it comes to shrooms and acid, certain drugs aren't being used or understood in the, in the right way, especially when it comes to microdosing. Like we didn't really talk about microdosing. Like I have like, I have like my own little drug smoothie. And I, what I mean by that is like, there's a mixture of things that I like to go through life with, you know, mm -hmm. I already know, like I take my vitamins. I'm fairly sober from alcohol. And by fairly sober, I really actually mean sober. It's just like, I don't have a bad thing with it. You know, um, I smoke a little bit of weed, I, you know, but I don't overly, I don't smoke every day. My main thing 
is, is the microdosing. I like it. I like microdosing with acid and mushrooms. I think if you're going through depression, especially if, as for this is, shout out to like the POC community, going through this, this uh, mentality of, of being in white supremacy sometimes makes you lose your happiness mm-hmm. and it causes depression and it's tiring and it's not uplifting. And, you know, I really love the idea of psilocybin and acid, like these forms being used to really help cope with that. You know, shout out to a friend of mine. Um, their name is Ro, and they've been studying how, like, or they've been using, um, you know, psilocybin as medicine. Is I wish there was the ability for the Black community to understand how psilocybin and acid used in microdoses could really help deal with white supremacy. And I have a friend who has kind of taught me that the taboo, like we're just now starting to get there in terms of the, and like the younger black community, but when it comes to depression or bipolar disorder, or like um, there, there are ways in which microdosing could cure, can really cure that. And um, I love that research. Cause I'm just like, mm-hmm. there's so much possible in healing for the black community, especially when it comes to like, you know, we're, we're within the victims of being um we're victims of drugs and when it comes to like hey there's a possibility that there might be actually something that can help you heal from certain traumas it kind of gives me some hope in this idea that like oh it's not just me like i mean it isn't just me but like the world is not just gonna like there's no hope in you know like drug use like I, I honestly don't think there's much hope in drug abuse unless it comes into the form of like, oh, this is going to heal you from your break, your breaking downs, you know, your breakdowns or um, trauma, you know, because I think I think psilocybin is really good for dealing with certain levels of heavy trauma, you know, but that just may be me in my opinion. But in my experience, it's been really helpful, you know. Yeah, it helped me when I was suicidal. Like if I hadn't have taken mushrooms or started taking mushrooms, I probably wouldn't be here. It's it's I think it's proven that it, it, it definitely is truly medicine. And I've had other conversations with folks who said like, yeah, like psilocybin needs to be in the hood. Like psilocybin, black people need to get more access to psilocybin. I'm down to be that person. Like I'm really interested in getting more in that space. Um, I'm down to 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 like take that risk to be honest because I just think it's such an important space of medicine, and I think that also calling it medicine and not calling it a drug is probably helpful because I kind of feel like mm. the na- way you name something and talk about something to people who aren't familiar with it, like if it's like called a drug, they maybe it might seem like more scary. That's true. <laughs> um, Which is wild to me, you know. Cause well, like cause Tylenol is a drug. Well, yeah, but the white man makes that stuff. Like that's all some pharma stuff. Like, like, but the, it is a drug though. Tylenol is a drug. Like baby Tylenol. Like they make baby yeah. Tylenol. You know? I know. And, and baby Benadryl. Yeah. That's fucked up. I'm. I mean, you know- we we have we are born in this world, and from birth we are inoculated with a whole bunch of shit all the time 
So yes. whatever you think that whatever type of drug you think you ain't taking, you already have been taking so many drugs <laughs> in your system. With even as with all the Robitussin and all that stuff, all the whatever, down to going to the dentist, down to you know all these um, vaccines like you know polio root. That's what. That's even another thing with the vaccine where I'm like, okay. I used to be anti-vax. My homegirl Natalia was like, "Honey, vaccines have saved my life." Shout out to Natalia. Natalia was like, "It, it was a fair argument," and I I got the vaccine. And your mother helped that space, like your mm-hmm. mom Tasha. Shout out to Tasha. Tasha saved hell of lives with that because <laughs> we had everybody coming down to get the vaccine because of Tasha. So, um, Black Mystic Company, and so, but. She was like, yo, think about all the vaccines you already have inside you. I'm like, wait, never thought about it. But, and also one thing that made me think about that was like polio's making a comeback. Like they just, a young boy yeah. just tested positive for polio. Wow. I love lists. Like here are all the medicines you should be taking, all the herbs. Like you remember when they had grandmas and aunties that play, okay, here's all this, here's all that. Like y'all need to make a list on like, this right here is like a no no. This is a yes. This is a hell yes. You know, like I have a my hell no is like, you know, alcohol, specifically like hard liquor and beer. Um, my yes is weed and really like uh my like microdosing edibles, little bit of edibles. And then my hell yes right now is shrooms and acid. What's yours? Um, my hell yes is for sure shrooms, psilocybin, love acid, and cannabis. Um, I would like to go back into other stuff again. I, I don't know if I have like a solid, but my hell knows. I have a middle space for everything, but except for I do have some hell knows. Like I would never do cocaine. I, I will ne- I'll stay away from cocaine. I think I'm good on cocaine Yeah, for the rest of, yeah. for the, rest of my life. And I'm also good on um molly i'm i'm good on molly i i i dosed in little little molly i'm a, i'm not i'm okay to i i had a good old time I, mardi gras on molly yeah I, the reason why i stopped molly was because i kept getting people telling to kept people having people tell me that molly does something in the receptors that doesn't come back oh fuck like like in terms of like i don't know if it was i don't want to butcher it but something i'm gonna google it it was it was enough for me to say i don't even want to play with it no more because it was like more than one person telling me this and i'm like spirit is telling me this like i need to fuck with this you know what i mean when some when you're getting that information from different people and different times but it's like about the same thing i'd be like thank you for passing on that news you hear that you gotta um, you passed on the good word yeah we Um, want things that 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 we don't want to lose certain parts of our brain or spirit. And I think that's a space with drugs is like, I like to switch things out. And I think it just depends on where I'm at, how safe I'm at, who it's coming from, where like all of this stuff where I'm like, this seems like a fitting time to eat a steak or have a thing Mm -hmm. or do it, whatever, but not, I don't eat steak all the time, but I will not say no to a good steak. Thank you for, uh, joining me on this and being down to talk about it i feel like we could we should we could come back to this another time because i feel like it's yeah 
it's like a, yeah. a through line. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I still, I, I'm not going to lie. I still want to talk more about, uh, media portrayal, you know, I'm, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm okay to say it here. And, you know, if anyone's listening, I'm not okay with media's portrayal on drugs. And that goes for every single show and movie. And that includes snowfall. And that includes everything from like, Every, everything from like the wire to snowfall, I look back on now and just think about how fucking horrible, um, how horrible um, it is that these white, these white narratives, which don't really seem white because they have people of color starring in them, are writing, rewriting the narrative of history of black folks and drugs. And we've never had a real control over our experiences with the exception of like there are certain films and you know that has talk about um that are directed by um, black folks i'm not just saying spike lee but like i know that it's out there but it's just so it's the most provocative things you can think of in terms of drug use and black people have been created by white people and it's an act of violence and i'm not for it and i think like Black people think it's all cool because we have something that talks about drug life and we have like the paid and fools. And yeah, okay, those things are sure hip hop culture's out there. But then when it comes to like shows like I, I thought about there's a movie called The Mexican. Oh, that movie love and drugs. Remember that? Like that was out. That was a movie about drugs. Narcos was a whole movie that was said about Hispanic and Hispanic culture, but it was written, most of that was written by white people. The wire. The Wire was written by a white man. The same one who wrote Treme. Yeah, I know. Which, which I'm like, wouldn't, shouldn't a black person be writing Treme? I know. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, okay. Yeah, it's on and popping. We probably, do, because we probably need to do drugs part two. I think we probably, we, we might just, what is imposter syndrome drugs? I think drugs help me get out of my imposter syndrome. Facts. I mean, Facts. if it wasn't for mushrooms... Yeah, drugs help me be vulnerable. Keyword for it, you know, what do drugs do? Drugs teach you how to be real and vulnerable. If you're not ready to be vulnerable, then yeah, don't do drugs. But if you're ready to be vulnerable and be real, be real. But if if you need to be vulnerable and you don't know what that feels like, take mushrooms. Yeah, for sure. They make me cry. I have a message to viewers because I feel like we didn't have any like conversation ends for like our podcast, which is like, you know, if you're a viewer, I just kind of want you to be like, I'm proud of the medicine I take to say, if you can admit it, I'm proud of the medicine I take because that's a big thing. Like, Mm -hmm. I think we we're going into this idea of like drugs, but you just said it, it's medicine. I'm proud of the medicine I take and I'm proud of me. I want to say, yeah, I think I'm proud of the medicine I take, but I also want to say that it's also, I'm conscious of the medicine I take. I'm responsible for the medicine I take. I understand my dosage of the medicine I take, and I'm going to be aware and conscious within myself mm-hmm. if this medicine is taking me. Facts. Ooh, okay. With that, we, we, we did it. We did it. We did it. Because you can't um, let that thing control you. And so back to the narrative thing. Yeah, we'll wrap this up. But like the, those narratives that you brought up are really important because it's allowing them to puppet us as the forefront or the face of drugs and a movement and, and like further justify the, the, the violence 
the the illegalness of it, the taxation, yeah. all of those spaces, while they're over there with Johnson and Johnson and Big Pharma, <laughs> we're pumping out fentanyl and pumping well, out yeah, all types of crazy stuff. But then you got propaganda machines like Snowfall and all these things written by white folks. Yeah, like I don't know. It just doesn't. It just doesn't add doesn't up. Like, right. We're not the face right. of drugs. We're really not the face of drugs. Well, and we need to play the chronic and for the next episode. <laughs> uh, I can't, uh, Dre's canceled. Oh, yeah, that's right. You know what's funny? I Okay, I write 90s show right now, so I'm missed in the Dre, but I've been watching way too many YouTube videos. Oh, my God. I, the, I'm glad we're not in the 90s, y'all, but that's oh. a whole other topic. That's a whole other topic. 90s was barbaric. It is a whole other topic. It also brings us to the part in which we go, look, it's not you that's fucked up. It's the world. The world. And we just we just sit here talk about it, you know, imposter syndrome survivors club where we know that you can do what you want to do and what you need to do to help you. To help you feel real. No judgment. To help you feel full. No judgment. We ain't no judging judgment. you. Nope. And, no. and with that said, I'm gonna lead us out with Gavin DeGraw. <laughs> I don't wanna be anything other than what I've been trying to be, baby. All I gotta do is keep it me in my peace of mind. I'm tired of looking out something, something, what I gotta do for who I'm supposed to be. I don't wanna be anything other than me. Shout out to Galvin. Hey! <laughs> Shout out to you. Anyways, I'm grateful. I appreciate you a million. I love you. I love you too. Appreciate you. And until next time. Bye.